You're listening to Pitch Perfect, the podcast, not the movie. And I'm one of your hosts, and my name is Nate. And joining me is one of your other hosts. His name is Josh. You might know him better as the uh, lead shape supervisor on both Cube and Sphere. Say hello. Yes, hello. Uh, I also did Hypercube, the the better Cube movie. Real great stuff. I heard that you that was really came about because you had so many radical ideas vis-a-vis shapes on the first Cube that they had to immediately greenlight a sequel just to show off some of the great shape work you had been doing. Yeah, my first idea was Tri-Cube, where there was three of them. Uh, mm-hmm. And then quad cube, where there's four of them, and then pent cube, where there's five of them, and there's uh, hex cube, where there's six of them, and then uh, <laughs> sept cube, I think, what is it? Well, there's seven of them, right? And then oct cube, of course, naturally. And mm-hmm. then I don't remember what nine is, so I'm not non. Go it with would this. be non cube, which would be very confusing. <laughs> I mean, that was also the problem with tri cube. It was because people kept getting it mixed up with those commercials from the you know the cube council just trying to promote using and eating cubes you know it's like got milk but for cubes try cube got cube speaking of cubes we have a special guest with us today we brought along tyler who is not a cube he's a dome say hi to everybody tyler it's your favorite dome tyler what's up boys you get you get to be a whole different kind of solid in every season in the previous continuity of season one you were uh, as we all know, a perfectly round football. That's the only football I know. <laughs> now you're a perfectly oval dome. <laughs> I mean, I am a dome of a man, it has been said. <laughs> <laughs> By who? Yeah, I, I, they didn't specify. I didn't Somebody ask. that respects him greatly. Because the dome is one of the most stable shapes. And that's important for everyone to know. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's very true. What are we doing here on this podcast? Well, I'll tell you what we're doing here. And uh, to start with, two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them, on the sand, half sunk a shattered visage lies, whose smile and widened eyes and wheeze of cool command tell that its sculptor well these passions read, which yet survive. Stamped on these lifeless things, the hand that mocked them, and the heart that fed, and on the pedestal, these words appear. His name is Doyle, King of Kings. Look upon his works, ye mighty, and despoil. And so we shall. Welcome to On Distant Choils, where my co-host and I talk about the one and only Doyle. And that's it. Just Doyle. Everything is great now. Uh, no. No, wrong. We watched a movie this week featuring Doyle. I think that's it's the only movie true. featuring Doyle. It's called Bio Doyle. <laughs> the, the world's first and only Doyle pick. <laughs> yep, unsolicited Doyle pick called uh, Bio Doyle. And, uh, you know, Nate, why don't you tell us about Bio Doyle? Okay. Also, at the end of this season, of course, as always, we're going to pitch the perfect Doyle movie. Just gotta wait for that. It's gonna be great. That's uh, that's what we do here, Pitch Perfect, with Doyle. Look, for for reasons I can't possibly comprehend, it's entirely possible didn't mean to use the words twice so close together it's entirely possible this is the first episode of this podcast you've ever listened to in which case don't listen to josh he's wrong no this this season is about Polly shore for some reason because someone picked it i who could that be uh and this perfectly tenable premise for this season is that we're gonna watch every Polly shore movie and and then try to pitch the perfect Polly shore 
movie. Also, we're not going to watch every Pauly Shore movie. We're going to watch a selection of them. So that has led us here to Biodome. Biodoyle. I, I can... I, yes. Allow me to... Allow me now to take a turn and do a weird thing. <laughs> As I attempt to explain to you what Biodome is, this place is a message and part of a system of messages. Pay attention to it. Sending this message was important to us. We considered ourselves to be a powerful culture. This place is not a place of honor. No highly esteemed deed is commemorated here. Nothing valued is here. What is here was dangerous and repulsive to us. This message is a warning about danger. The danger is in a particular location. It increases toward a center. The center of danger is here, of a particular size and shape, below us. The danger is still present, in your time as it was in ours. The danger is to the body, and it can kill. The form of the danger is an emanation of... cinema. The danger is unleashed only if you substantially disturb this place by... uh, watching it. This place is best shunned and left uninhabited. This place... is Biodome. Our subjects, because there are no heroes in this movie-like object, are two brothers named Bud, played by Pauly Shore, and Doyle, played by Stephen Baldwin. They are weird assholes. They have unreasonably hot girlfriends, to whom they are weird assholes. After being weird assholes to their girlfriends, the girls get a modicum of revenge on them by tricking the brothers into going to a drained and despoiled lake. Uh, While returning home, they stop to pee at what they think is a mall, but is actually the biodome. It is not actually a dome. We will discuss this more later. But it is an experiment where scientists must live in an isolated artificial environment for one year while attempting to achieve homeostasis. Bud and Doyle are trapped inside the dome. And what follows is the longest and most literal bout of farting around we have yet witnessed on this podcast. Bud and Doyle are weird assholes throughout. And somehow, they become minor celebrities during this time. They also continually make sexual advances towards two of the women in the biodome, but are shocked and offended when they find out their girlfriends might be going to a party where they might meet entirely hypothetical dudes. They escape the biodome, and then re-enter the biodome to throw a massive party in the biodome. The party ruins the biodome, and rightfully alienates Bud and Doyle from their girlfriends. They then forcibly lock the scientists in the biodome with them, even though it's supposed to be shut down because they ruined it with their party. Bud and Doyle and the scientists all work together to restore the dome, and somehow this works. But meanwhile, the lead scientist, Dr. Faulkner, isolates himself and succumbs to Green Goblin-esque madness as he plots to blow up the dome with coconut bombs. There's a slapstick confrontation with Dr. Faulkner that ends with part of the dome being blown up, but Bud and Doyle survive, as does Dr. Faulkner. Stephen Baldwin wants to make a sequel to this movie, about Bud and Doyle's kids. He should be allowed to do that, and the government should force everybody to see it. That's what we deserve. There is no Josh, only Doyle. And that's what happens in the movie Biodome. Uh, yes, I will correct you, though. They're not brothers. I mean, they are brothers, I guess, but they're not, like, biological brothers. They're just best friends. No, they're biological brothers. Not according to the synopsis I read. They've got the same last name. No, they don't. I believe they do. I I was under the assumption that they were best friends. Doyle Stubbs Johnson and Bud Squirrel McIntosh. I invented the idea that they are brothers. Okay. I, for some reason, thought they were brothers. I mean, it's more poetic when they're brothers. I thought they were both named Johnson. No. Oh. 
Well, that makes you know what makes me like the movie less <laughs> somehow. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, I think we both have fallen under spouts of badness from this movie, but specifically, uh, we brought back Tyler, uh, who is now a dome, and we should talk to Tyler a little bit. Uh, Tyler, thank you for being back. Really appreciate you being here. Also, my pleasure. Uh, we're doing something that isn't earnest this season. We're doing Polly Shore. Have you? had a history of watching and enjoying Polly Shore movies, and would you care to talk about that? Uh, yeah. So, you know, I probably discovered Polly Shore when I was, I don't know, maybe like 10 years old. I think Biodome may have been the f- first Polly Shore movie I've seen. I can't confirm Really? That, like before Encino Man? But yeah. Yeah, I think so. Because I feel like I, Encino Man I saw later. Mm. But like I, my, my memory's fuzzy as far as which ones I saw first. But the big three for me as a kid were Biodome, Son-in-Law, and Encino Man. Okay. Those were the Pauly Shore movies I knew. And I, I don't know if I've seen much other... Well, In the Army Now. Mm. In the Army Now is very bad. Uh, had you, yes. you, so you hadn't seen Jury Duty. I've, I have not seen Jury Duty. That one seems to be pretty forgotten. Neither Josh nor I had seen it before we watched it for this podcast. It's extremely weird and not particularly good, but it does exist, and <laughs> for that we must respect it's it. It's wild that you saw it in the Army now instead. You know, like, it's weird that that movie has more of a presence when it is worse. I mean, it definitely does. More people remember that In the Army now exists than Jury Duty. That, that's wild to me. Yeah, I had never heard of Jury Duty at all until you have mentioned it. Now, I think we already mentioned we're at some point later on. I think our next two movies are going to be Polly Shore's Adopted and uh, Polly Shore is Dead. Have you seen either of those movies? I've seen Polly Shore is Dead, mm. um, but Adopted, I have no idea what that is. Okay, cool. I haven't seen either, so you have a little bit of an insight into our future on this podcast. Doesn't go well for us. Yeah. Do we have? Do you have much to look forward to? It's isn't it like you guys haven't seen it at all? No, no, I haven't. I'm aware of the existence of Polly Shore's Dead. I had never heard of Adopted either until we were planning out how, what we were going to do for this season. I could be totally wrong, but isn't Polly Shore is Dead like a documentary about Polly Shore? Kind of. It's a mockumentary, from okay. what I know. Also, so is Adopted. Yeah, they're uh, both mockumentaries. Okay. Adopted is also a mockumentary. They're both mockumentaries. As far as I know... We have to watch two mockumentaries in a row? We have uh, set this podcast to ruin in our second season. We are yeah. destroyed and despoiled. So was Biodome a movie... Like, So we've talked multiple times on this podcast about how I used to watch Encino Man like, a lot when I was a kid. Like, I would rewatch it very often. Was Biodome like that for you? Or was it just something that you had seen and remembered? Weirdly enough, like, Biodome was definitely something that I watched, not, I wouldn't say, like, frequently. It was one of those mm-hmm. ones where, like, I didn't own it on VHS or anything as a kid. I would catch it when it was on. Okay. And, like, and for some reason, I feel like Son-in-Law got a lot of play on, weirdly enough, I think they showed it on, like, Disney hmm. Channel. Interesting. Yeah, because that one's, like, I think that one's, like, PG. Yeah. It's a surprisingly pleasant movie. That was kind of our take coming out of it. Was like, wow, we were su- surprised by how like likable and easy going most of that movie is. It has kind of a weird, like, dark 
set up for its climax where someone gets drugged. I forgot about that. Holy shit. Yeah, it's understandable. I think the movie wants you to forget. It's they're just like, eh, we need a way to end yeah, the movie. Yeah, and then it just ends. Yeah, I really, I really liked Son in Law. No, we like Son in Law too. It's not as good as Encino Man for sure, but as like a Pauly Shore led movie in a way, I still don't actually know yeah. if he's the lead character in that movie. But let's say he is. He's definitely the lead character. I think he's the lead character. So the way it opens, I feel like Carla Gugino is is the lead character. But by the time they get to the farm, he's yeah. definitely the lead character. She's like drops out of the movie for a goodly chunk of it. That's true. And it's about mostly about him having farm shenanigans. Okay. Well, let's say let's just it is Polisher's lead character movie, and it's so far it's the best one. Yeah. So what we have noticed watching these movies is that those first two, Encino Man and Son in Law, he has this persona. Where he's kind of this specific, spacey, stoner character. He's got the lingo. He says, buddy. And then, almost immediately after Son-in-Law, he shifts into an entirely different mode. Where the joke is just that he's annoying. And that he's dumb. And he continually plays kind of jerks. Yeah. So, uh, in your experience, Tyler, like, were you like a big fan of Biodome? Biodome I definitely liked. I wouldn't say I was a big fan, but... I could see as a kid really digging it. Yeah. Because it's got a lot of farting in it. It do be farting. (laughs) But I definitely, I guess, liked it enough to at some point acquire it on DVD because I watched it on DVD. Yeah, you watched it on your own personally owned. From my personal... Signed by Doyle. (laughs) I wish it was. I'm such a Doyle nut, I wish it was signed by Doyle, but it's not. And real-life Doyle impersonator Stephen Baldwin. Uh, no, okay, so... Oh, I think what I was trying to build towards, Tyler, is, like, do you have, like, a, like a nostalgia for this movie? Like, Nate Head with Encino Man? Or do you feel like, you know... It's just kind of like this weird thing that you just gleamed onto as a kid, and, like, now it's, like, still something you kind of just have... No, it's nostalgia again. I'm describing nostalgia again. Uh, just talk, <laughs> talk about your... Uh, previous experience of Biodome, please. Yeah, well, what, what were your... What was your, like, impression of the movie going into this watch? Did you, like... Shatter your expectations to destroy your illusions of your childhood. Yeah, so that's the thing. Like, I don't like. I didn't go into this going like thinking that one that Biodome is like the best movie, or or even the other way going. Oh, I hope this doesn't ruin Biodome for me. Mm-hmm. Like, I went in going like I know what Biodome is, and I have, and I haven't watched it in in a few years. I don't remember the last time I watched Biodome. So it's like obviously some of the stuff like I've totally forgot about. And it is kind of sucks, <laughs> but um, <laughs> but I didn't like go in thinking that it was gonna be great or thinking that it was gonna be the like bad, you know what I mean, and ruin it. Like I don't like I don't have a nostalgia for Biodome. Weirdly enough, my m- more of my nostalgia for that movie is from the soundtrack. Like I okay. like I brought up a couple times when we were watching. A, like specifically a Voodoo Glow Skull song on the soundtrack. I, I don't know why. I just like. St- triggered a memory of like oh being a ska kid and hearing voodoo glow skulls in a Pauly shore movie and going oh that's voodoo glow skulls but other than that like i'm more nostalgic for son-in-law like i really liked that movie as a kid like that was my Pauly shore movie um and encino man is great too but i like i'm not gonna act like like i'm i'm not like a like nate watching that like repeatedly not that i didn't <laughs> like it but that was, that was one of the ones that was like 
Like, all these movies I only caught when they were playing. And for whatever reason, they played In the Army Now and Son-in-Law a lot. Like, I saw those two probably the most. I really hope they didn't play In the Army Now on the Disney Channel. Because that would be bad. <laughs> Definitely not on Disney Channel. I think In the Army Now was, like, a in regular rotation on Comedy Central. Yeah. That is even wilder. Because it's not even comedy. Yeah, no, it's, like, barely a comedy. But that's, like, where I remember seeing it. Because, like, before... Uh, this has been, been outlined on this podcast. Josh and I watched that together twice within like the last like couple years. Once for this podcast, once for fun, uh, quote unquote <laughs> fun. And like most of my like memories of it were like seeing bits and pieces of it on TV, going into that first viewing, and having like a mostly like neutral impression of it. Biodome I had seen before. This was not the first time I'd seen Biodome, but I had seen it very little compared to something like Xeno Man, and like I. <laughs> I thought the movie was very bad, but I don't necessarily... I wasn't, like, disappointed mm. by it. I wasn't, like, really expecting more. I mean, I think that these doing in the Army now and Jury Duty really, like, tamped down expectations for Pauly Shore movies going forward anyway. Okay. Had you seen this one before, Josh? No, I had not seen Biodome before, and having seen it for the first time, I think we should just get into rating it. 10 out of 10. Best movie I've ever seen. Uh, definitely, you know... There's, what else can I say about it? Just best movie ever. Uh, that's great. I'm. I love that you feel that way about Biodome. I um think it's very bad, as I said before. Watching this, like, I don't want to harp on this. I know it's a thing that I've talked about a lot, but it's just like one of the things I said to you, both of you, while we were watching it, was like, it's crazy how many people are okay with their movies just like not being movies yes but which i mean like having like a real story structure <laughs> now i know it's a slightly different then like this movie was made in 1996 which means that they're like a year before robert mckee publishes story and they're like a few years before save the cat which is like the most ubiquitous screenwriting book currently but like sid field wrote screenplay in like the 70s they're in LA, like, somebody's got a copy of screenplay that they can read, and they can figure out how to structure a movie. Josh, you and I did this for the season finale of the first season. Like, we, we structured a, a story with, like, a beginning and a middle and an end, with rising and falling action and turning points. Yeah, and presumably we'll do that again at the end of this season, where we pitch the perfect Doyle movie. Yeah, was that hard? No. No, it's not hard. It's quite easy. If you... You could just follow a formula. It's fine. You don't have to... I mean, you can also listen to our season finale and see how easy it was for us. Yeah, you, you don't have to be, like, David Lynch. You don't have to upend the entire idea of a story to write a successful movie. You can just follow the formula. You can write out the beat sheet and just have a movie with, like, a plot. And continually, like... For this podcast, and also, it's, it, you know, Josh and I and our friend Sonny, Tyler's been to this too, we have, like, a sort of weekly bad movie club. And watching movies for that, and watching movies for this, and just living in the world, it's so frustrating how <laughs> many movies just don't do the barest work to just tell an actual story. Uh, and this is one of them. Like, this movie is bizarrely structured. Like, I, I referenced in the synopsis that it's got, like, the longest bout of farting around we've ever encountered. And most of this movie is farting around. For almost none of the movie do the characters have anything approaching, like, a gull or a 
you know, a, a conflict even. They just are so dumb, they don't care about anything, which does not an engaging movie make. And continually throughout it, I was like, who are we supposed to sympathize with? Where where are we supposed to in, be invested emotionally in this? And I mean, I get it. You're not supposed to be. Like, they don't care. But it's just like, it's, you, you, after a while, you just feel totally unmoored from reality watching something like this. <laughs> Hence the Doyle bit that has consumed Josh. Doyle is love. Doyle is life. Like, like, Josh, you like to make fun of the thing in Encino Man where they're like, they find the caveman and they go, this is going to make us popular in high school. Because, <laughs> and you make fun of it rightfully because it is silly. But at least that's a thing they want. At least there's an end goal there. Like, he, Dave wants to get a date to the prom. We know what he wants. What do Doyle and Bud want? At any point in this movie until, like, the last 20 minutes, they don't want anything. They're just, like, abstract forces of chaos. Which can work just fine. Don't get me wrong. I love, like, cartoons and, like, the Three Stooges and stuff. But there needs to be, like, a straight man. And there are in this movie, but they're, they're not characters who... They don't have arcs. They're just, like... No, one has an arc. Okay. Or becomes the villain. Yes, that's true. That's... That, and that's maybe the best part of the movie. But even then, it doesn't really make a ton of sense. And at no point does it feel, like, threatening. But, like, the last thing I really want to say about this is... There's a... I know I go... I don't want to, like, go on about this with no, like, actual counterexample. But there is, like, a really definitive one. Because Pee-wee's Big Adventure, right? That is a very good movie. I think that's a great movie. It, it contains maybe the funniest bit in all of movies, in my opinion. But, like... We're all in agreement, right, that Pee-wee's Big Adventure is a good movie? I agree. Yeah. I love that movie. That could very easily have been a movie like this, or like these other unfocused, shapeless comedies, where it's just reliant on the big, annoying, comedic persona of the main character. But I, I think this was something Paul Rubin said in an interview, that when they were they cut the deal to like make the movie, when he was decided he was going to make a Pee-wee Herman movie, him and Phil Hartman got a copy of screenplay by Sid Field and, like, read it and sat down and wrote out a movie with a coherent structure to put their weird character in. And it's like, that right there is, like, an example. Like, you can do it. You don't have to make Biodome. You can make Pee-wee's Big Adventure. And, like, that bit that I referenced, like, that I think is the funniest, it's the tequila bit in the motorcycle bar. Like, that's a funny, absurd, goofy bit but, like, it tells us something about Pee-wee's character, and it advances the plot, and it doesn't feel like a detached fever dream because it is put into a coherently structured movie and is infinitely funnier for it. And that is why Biodome gets a one and a half from me. Oh, the I know I've only been ragging on it. So the reason it's a one and a half, specifically, why it gets at least that extra half point is it does also contain... An extremely funny bit to me that made me lose my shit laughing and like almost sob. We were just saying, in contrast to the tequila bit, that bit doesn't mean anything. It didn't need to be in the movie. If you cut the tequila bit out of Pee Wee's Big Adventure, you the movie would make less sense because he would jump out of a threatening situation into like a further along point in the story. If you cut the bit that I really liked from this movie out it would not change the structure of the movie at all. The movie would make exactly as little sense as it already makes. Yeah, 
Yeah, uh, all those things you said were blasphemy, but uh, yeah, totally. Tyler, uh, why don't you give us your rating of the movie? Yeah, um, so this movie does suck. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, you know, mince words here, and I'm not gonna cut a beautiful promo like Nate just did about Pee Wee Herman. (laughs) I'm just gonna say it, it's not good. (laughs) And re-watching, like, for the first time, like, as an adult, I'd say... Yeah, Bud and Doyle are fucking terrible people. And this movie's not good. <laughs> if I had to give it a... I'd, I'd give it a star. I could go with not watching this movie ever again, but I still have a spot for it on my my personal collection of DVDs that's going to stay there forever. For reasons unknown. <laughs> okay, well, uh, you've said this movie's not good, like, more than three times to me and that's like resolving me in my Doyle Beetlejuice curse and I'm starting <laughs> to agree that this movie was not good um, I, my brain can't fully process this movie it's just it's a literal insane mess that barely qualifies as a cinematic feature like it doesn't even like uh, it doesn't hit anything that movies should hit and Nate really covered that aspect of it but I think the thing that hits me the most is that there's no investment in any single character whatsoever there are two developed characters most characters that are undeveloped and the two developed characters that uh we have as our quote-unquote protagonists are insanely unlikable even when they do the bare minimum of getting through the plot and with that (laughs) the movie accomplishes the bare minimum for environmental awareness while also implying and i'll get to this a shit ton of gross animal violence, which is insane and hard to process. It's a weird recurring thing in this movie. It's like the destruction of animals. Yeah. Uh, I want to get back to uh, what you were saying, Nate, about uh, just having the idea of someone sitting down and writing out a script for a movie and actually putting work into it. The director of this movie, his name is Jason Bloom. Apparently, he's directed... In a movie called Overnight Delivery in 1998, starring Paul Rudd and Reese Witherspoon. And uh, another movie in 2001 called Viva Las Nowhere, starring James Cannon and Daniel Stern. And he's only done television since then. But all these movies that he's done are very poorly rated. <laughs> this guy, just as a general, has no idea what he's doing. It's wild. Yeah, I mean, I think he's a uh, he's a hack. I think is is the term. I don't want to be mean, but that's that sounds like a uh, you know a hack to me. But yeah, I don't, I don't know what else I was gonna say. Oh, I should say, and now that I'm broken free of my terrible Doyle curse, I agree with Tyler. This movie is one star out of five, two out of ten. Uh, I just barely qualifies as a movie, and there are like maybe one or two jokes that are enjoyable, but it's not enjoyable. worth the entire runtime of the movie for those jokes. Uh, yeah. Do you think that this is Mike Judge's fault? Does this movie exist because of Beavis and Butthead? 100%. Bud, Polly Shore's character, and Doyle are, like, pretty much Beavis and Butthead. Yeah, I think that's a lot of it. Like, I, 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 I feel like a lot of this style of humor that was prevalent in the 90s with these weird, uh, nearly psychopathic, annoying, asshole, dumb guy characters, I feel like a lot of it does come from Beavis and Butthead, but I also think a lot of it is, like... It's 
like boomer studio execs who are mad at the the current generation. And it's like, this is what you look like to me. You are Bud and Doyle. <laughs> you will forever be Bud and Doyle. Yeah, maybe. I mean, this movie specifically. So we already talked about in previous episodes how Paulie Shore became kind of a butthead character where he's just this weird whiny asshole in, in the army now and jury duty. But in this movie, it's very Beavis and Butthead energy, specifically because he's backed up by a friend who just isn't a one-note creep, but is someone who just literally mimics everything he's doing. Yeah, they try to they try to turn Stephen Baldwin into a second Pauly Shore. More yeah. or less. It's like it's basically just two Pauly Shores. And he's um he's bad. I I I don't I don't know if I've seen anything else that Stephen Baldwin is in, but he is uh bad in this movie. When we were watching it, I said it would almost make more sense if he was like a wrestler or like an athlete or something. He doesn't sound like an actor in this movie. There's a it what it is <laughs> I think is a lack of confidence. I don't want to like psychoanalyze Stephen Baldwin, but you can. I feel like that's a like a make or break. Like there are people who are bad actors because they're like not believable, or they're like over the top, or they don't like pitch at the right tone for the movie. But I think like he's got in this the he's a bad actor in the same way that someone in like a school play is a bad actor, where they're just not saying their lines with confidence, and he's playing such a bonkers like character that him not being confident is like... And especially because he's up against Pauly Shore, who is very confident, even when he's delivering terrible material. It just makes him look all the worse. You know, Nate, I'm sorry, but I think you have to take a step back and reevaluate yourself and your life choices. Because you've seen Stephen Baldwin in other movies, and there are other movies that you love, including The Usual Suspects, The Flintstones in Viva Rock Vegas, and Fred Claus. <laughs> Okay, yeah, you know what? You're right. Wow, I just, like, edited Stephen Baldwin completely out of my memory. Yeah, okay, I don't know even know what I'm talking about. That's, it's almost like, <laughs> I don't know, it's like I got some kind of Stephen Baldwin psychic block. I mean, these are, well, exception of the usual suspects, these are all movies that are post-Biodomes, I don't know, but Usual Suspects came out a year before Biodome. What a, man, what a career this gentleman has. Did you know that he directed a... Christian themed skateboarding DVD called Living It? I did not know that. <laughs> he did that. It's not just to be clear, it's not a skateboarding movie. It's it is like a tape. Like it's like just skateboarding footage and then Stephen Baldwin gives like a sermon, I guess. That's so weird. Extremely weird. That's gotta mm -hmm. be like like he had a DUI and then he's like, Okay, I gotta stop I gotta find God and then I was like, I gotta get these kids into God and Kids love skateboarding. That's that's the only thing I can think of. No, I, I that sounds one hundred percent believable to me. Let's be really mean to Stephen Baldwin for a second, even more so, and let's look at what his brother was doing this same year. <laughs> oh, really? Not actually. It's fine. It, you know what? He can take solace in this because the same year that Biodome came out, Alec Baldwin was in The Juror, Heaven's Prisoners, and Ghosts of Mississippi, and uh, I don't think any of those movies exist. Yeah, nope. it sounds all made up. Biodome exists more than those movies, so good job, Stephen Baldwin. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Okay. Uh, do you guys want to get into high and low points? Sure. Okay. Tyler, do you have any high points for this movie? Okay, I'm not going to say what exactly the high point was, because it's not so much a part of the movie as a part of uh, how, how Nate lost his shit. 
Do we all that have the, the same be- high point? <laughs> and that wasn't that that part of the movie wasn't my high point. Nate's reaction to that part of the movie was my high point. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I think that's, that's what I'm trying too. to say. All right, do you remember this talk about this stupid incredible Here's the thing. I liked I laughed very very hard. Uh, to the point where I, I just straight up lost it. I couldn't control myself. I was, like, sobbing. That <laughs> one particular joke in this movie. And the thing is, I'm going to explain what the joke is. And it's not going to make the movie look better. It's only going to make me look worse. Because <laughs> here it's like, it, not only is it a joke in Biodome, but it's also, like, a Family Guy-style cutaway joke. There's a lot of those in this movie. There's a part where they've been causing chaos in the biodome, and they're given a talking to by the, what will become the main antagonist of this movie, Dr. Faulkner, who's played by William Atherton, who probably is most known for being Walter Peck in Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. And he tells he's trying to tell them what they can and can't do, and he ends up saying, you know, you know what, anything you did at home, you can't do here. And they're like, anything? And then it cuts to a flashback. Where they've got like a dog, it, it, like some like a cockapoo <laughs> or something, like a fuzzy curly haired dog, and they're shaving it with like shaving cream and razors, and they're like shave the puppy, like chanting that over and over again, and like putting the dog hair on their faces, and that made me lose it. And just because it's so absurd, it's like well, I like absurd jokes, and it's like why did they do this? Are they sad that they can't do it here? Why would they want to do it here? Like, all of those questions bubble up. And I just broke at that point. And it, it, just, it just got me. <laughs> and that, for me, is the, the high point of the movie. And yes, dear listener, loyal listener of Pitch Perfect, yes, it's another weird joke that involves an animal. I don't know what's wrong with me. <laughs> Well, we're actively going to prevent you from making this the highest point of the season, for sure. But that's that's my only high point of this movie, is that weird season where we lose our minds. I don't have any other high points for this movie that I wrote down. There's nothing. I do have an actual high point. Oh, good. Save us, Tyler. Something, something that we can actually talk mm-hmm. about. Good. It's the safety dance montage. I agree. Okay. That's probably my favorite part of the movie. It's so dumb. Why are they all dancing like that? Can you explain it to us? Can you explain how it happens in the movie? Because I know how it happens in the movie. And the setup for it is wild. Alright. So, as Nate mentioned in his synopsis earlier, they throw the party at the biodome to, I guess, stop their girlfriends from banging swimmers? That's besides the point. They trash the biodome. They realize that... They're dicks, but only about that specific thing, about ruining the biodome. Not that they're dicks their entire lives. They just, they realize the consequences of uh, ruining the biodome, I guess. And then, so they're like, oh, we gotta fix all the stuff that we ruined and be, be, I guess, okay people. And so they start trying to rebuild and fix the biodome. And then they have a speech to the... The Biodome 5, or I guess it's 4 at this point, because I think Faulkner already left. Yeah, he's gone into the crawl space to be the Green Goblin. (laughs) And they, with a rousing speech, convince the scientists to stay and help them fix the Biodome. And then 
the safety dance just starts playing. No. And they all start. <laughs> no, there's Am I more setup to it than that. So they lock yes. they lock the scientists in the biodome with them. Oh. Doyle eats the key. Okay, yeah. The guy who owns the biodome is trying to get them out, and they try to force them out by loudly playing safety dance over speakers at them over and over again. Yeah. I totally blacked that out. They set it up by saying, yeah, uh, we know a way to get them out. We'll play this noise, and that'll definitely get them out. And then they like never cut back to like them realizing the plan didn't work. I and also didn't... it's safety dance. How the hell did I miss that? I <laughs> Yeah. I just heard safety dance and I was like, cool. This song rules. <laughs> See, that would have been better, right? Cuz like you just set it up with like it's just a montage, right? But no, they had to give a reason for the music that's happening that's just bonkers. What do they call that? Diage- diagenetic? Di- diagetic? Diagetic. Yeah, that's when the characters hear the same music that we hear. I disagree, Josh, because I think because of that setup where it's supposed to be something that annoys them and makes them leave and they respond by reenacting the safety dance video complete with inexplicable, like, little person in a pirate outfit who is only in one shot and never shows up again. I think that that's, like, the movie's most successful actual joke that has, like, a clear construction with, like, a setup and a punchline and a twist. Yes. I actually do vastly prefer it over it just being a disconnected, absurd, they start dancing to safety dance bit. I guess. I think at this point in the movie, my mind just lost all ability to process things. Yeah, I literally heard like, Yeah, why not do that? I heard your brain break when you saw that little person. (laughs) And you were like, what the fuck? Where did this guy come from? Is he wearing a pirate suit? Yeah, they're all in a line. They're doing, like, I mean, if, y'all, if you're not familiar with the safety dance dance, just watch the video for safety dance. They're just doing that. And there's just this dude all of a sudden. I think he's even, like, waving a flag? <laughs> and then he's just... He's, like, leading the conga line. Yeah, and then he's not there. It completely breaks the rules the movie has set up because they're supposed to be alone and stuck in the biodome. <laughs> I actually also have another high point, sort of. Okay. I actually, I don't think it's super successful, but I do kind of like Faulkner's turn into being a villain. I like that someone actually gets so annoyed with the nonsense of these characters in these movies that it breaks him in the way that it broke Josh. <laughs> kind of the opposite way. It, it's like, it's not, it's a weird thing because it's like, I like it, but it also kind of suffers because it's very close to being like something I love. Which it reminds me of the Frank Grimes thing from The Simpsons. Like, I love that sort of turn of the, like, the one character who is not charmed by the comedic guy and sees him for how, like, ridiculous and, like, unacceptable that he is and breaks down. This is not as good and as successful as Frank Grimes, but, like, it, it's alright. It's It's probably the most, like, it's the point where the movie becomes the most... A movie that it has been up till that point. Yeah, I'm not a fan of it because that character commits crimes against birds. We'll talk about. But that. he's the villain. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. So I don't have any high points like I mentioned earlier. Does anyone have any more, or is that the extent of our high points? Uh, piggybacking off of that high point of that character going crazy, probably my biggest laugh from the movie. Aside from laughing at Nate, laughing at a dog being shaved, <laughs> was that single shot of Faulkner's face right before he goes insane? 
where they do the slow push in on his face at the like at the party. You know, yeah, you guys yeah, no, that? that's good. I agree with that. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, it's very reminiscent of real life. What happened to me? Yeah. Except you just kept going Doyle, 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 and we were like, "What's going on, Josh?" <laughs> no, everything is fine. My brain is not destroyed. Everything is Doyle. Okay, so previously on uh, Pitch Perfect, the podcast, not the movie, we lost our minds in a way that wasn't Doyle related, where we split up high points of our season between two separate characters. Yes, we had the weasel. And then we had the grungy asshole. Yeah. The grungy asshole being the Polly Shore from the most recent movies that we watched, and the weasel being the Polly Shore that is from Son in Law and Encino Man. Our season high point in general from the weasel is, of course, uh, you know what? Actually, Tyler, let's see. I don't think you've listened to our earlier episodes. I want to see if you can guess what our weasel high point is. The weasel high point? Yeah. So we're sort of splitting off like the Son in Law Encino Man character is the weasel. And then afterwards, he becomes the grungy asshole who is the protagonist yeah. of the later movies. Yeah, I want to see how well you know Nate specifically, Tyler. What is what is the high point that we have latched onto? Since I'll give you a hand, the beginning of this podcast for the season. I mean, if I had to guess, it'd be wheezing the juice. Ding ding ding! Yes, you got it. It is wheezing the juice. Oh God, Josh! Please don't do that ever again. <laughs> Weez- wheezing the Josh, am I right? <laughs> wheezing the Josh. <laughs> Have you guys ever tried wheezing the juice? Yes. Oh, oh, seriously, Josh, you've done it, right? We've all done it. hundred percent. Okay, We've cool. All done it. Who, who sure amongst that... us has not wheezed the juice? Let <laughs> he who is without juice cast the first stone. <laughs> cast the first wheeze. Yeah. So that's our uh, weasel high point, and then our grungy asshole high point is from Cherry Duty. With Peanut playing Jeopardy, just the whole arc of Peanut playing Jeopardy. Oh yeah, you um, described does, that to me. <laughs> we have to. So, what is our high point for this movie as a whole, and does it outclass either of these high Look, points? Look, for me, far and away, the high point is the dog shaving scene. And I gotta be real. I have to be real. I respect the thousands and hundreds and millions of pitchamaniacs that listen to this podcast, and I have to tell you that. I laughed harder at that than I have laughed at anything for any of the movies we've watched here. Any of the earnest hijinks, even harder than Wheezing the Juice. Now, I'm conflicted, of course, uh, because I always am, because I am human. Wheezing the Juice has brought me so much joy over the years that's hard to compare it. But in terms of, like, for this podcast, like, we watched Encino Man for this podcast, and we watched Biodome for this podcast, and when Wheezing the Juice happened, I chuckled. Mostly out of recognition, because I've seen it so many times, it's kind of kind of lost its comedic punch. It's comedic juice, if you will. And I watched the dog shaving scene, and I nearly died. <laughs> so, I, I kind of think for me, it's, it's a higher high point. I don't think it's a useful high point, because it's nothing. Like, it's not a thing <laughs> to shoot for. But I, I have to say that, I mean, they're both jokes, and that was in this... In this era, a more successful joke for me. Okay. Uh, Tyler, out of your high points, do you have another one to nominate against shaving the dog as the high point of Biodome? Shaving the dog. <laughs> I mean, if we're going for weasel high points or... No, just general high point. Like, So what would, what would be your high point of Biodome 
and then we'll compare it to the ones I just listed for Weasel and Crunchy Asshole. Uh, I still think the safety dance is, like... Okay. It's not funny. Like, I mean, I guess there's the shot of the, of, of the, the random little person that really catches you off guard, but, like, I don't know. I have, like, a fondness for that scene. We well, The distinction we usually go to on this podcast is something like that is amusing, but not but not necessarily funny. We've encountered yeah. a lot of moments that have been more amusing than funny, because we have to make ourselves pick high points for the movies. <laughs> Do you agree with Nate? that uh, shaving the dog should be the high point of Biodome in general, or do you feel like your answer is better? No, shaving the dog. Like, okay, we definitely all, I mean, I think more so, Josh, you and I laughing at Nate's reaction. Yeah. Than, than just the actual scene of shaving the dog. <laughs> okay. I, I, I shudder to think what the people who, if, if there are people who listen to this podcast who don't know us in person, which there must be because I just said there were millions of them. <laughs> I can't imagine what they think of me. <laughs> like, I, you weren't here for it, Tyler, but, like, we did Earth Goes to School. My high point of that movie was just one shot of a pig, wear, like, a potbelly pig wearing headphones. Yeah, and our guest at the time agreed with him, and then he immediately regretted it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So, let's, uh, alright, so, we, I have no... Doyle in this fight. So we're going to say that the high point of Biodome is shaving the dog cut cutaway. Do we think that is a better high point? Since we're in the grungy asshole era, I don't know if we're going to compare this to the weasel era, so we might just say wheezing the jokes in general. The weasel might be dead. We'll talk about that later. But for the grungy asshole era, is the shaving the dog cutaway better than the dog playing the Jeopardy arc? So similar. I wonder why, Nate. I, I'm a, I have a terrible influence on this podcast. I don't even like dogs. <laughs> like, I'm not a dog person. I'm very much not a dog person. I th- think shaving the dog is funnier, but if we're thinking about the premise of this podcast, like, I would be more... I would have a greater desire to include something like the Peanut winning at Jeopardy because it's a character arc, weirdly enough. It's like a payoff <laughs> to a movie-long thing that's, like, set up. Like, I went through my whole fucking rant about story structure. I would be a real fucking hypocrite if I abandoned it in this moment to say, no, actually, it's the disconnected, absurd thing that doesn't advance the plot or pay off in any way is better. So I I, I think I have to vote for the, the other dog, the non-shaved dog. <laughs> I agree with you. I haven't seen Jerry Duty, but just your description of that scene alone, I'm going to say is better than shaving the dog. I don't know. I think yeah. that just the the imagery of a dog on Jeopardy is very funny to me. <laughs> it is very funny. It's also very funny that that's the way they end the movie with a still <laughs> shot of a dog winning at Jeopardy. It is the last image of of the movie. As far as weird endings to bad comedies go, it's up there for me with the ending of My Five Wives, starring Rodney Dangerfield, where the last thing that's said is a joke to camera about how small Rodney Dangerfield's dick is. <laughs> okay yeah no i think i think i'm gonna stick with the dog playing jeopardy so unfortunately uh we gotta throw <laughs> the doyle out with the bathwater and uh get rid of the shave in the dog scene Just sorry the doyle out with the dog Nate. hair <laughs> Nate alone <laughs> okay so let's get into low points then because i could start with a huge crime sure that made me lose my mind and have my skeleton shoot out of my body 
into space, into the next galaxy, and then back, destroying what was left of my body and just having a charred skeleton. You just, your skeleton popped out of your body and did, like, a fucking special move from Injustice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Went up, around, came back, and destroyed my whole skin. Yep. Uh, but somehow it didn't end the match. You still had, like, a little bit of life left. <laughs> no, that was that was the x-ray. <laughs> oh, okay. No, so what is this? What is this horrible crime? This horrible skeleton expulging crime. So, apparently, Doyle and Polly Shore's fantastically named character, Bud Squirrel McIntosh, live together and are roommates and just do nonsense together. And at one point, they're just sitting out watching TV. (laughs) And, yeah, oh, oh, you know exactly (laughs) what I'm going to say. Bud is putting one of his own feet inside his mouth to use his mouth to pull out nasty toe jam and extends his other foot to Doyle, who puts another person's foot in his mouth and chews on toe jam to get it out. I think he's just biting his toenails. Yeah, toenails. But it's still... No, he... does... Uh, Bud was, like, saying, hey, no, get the crunchy one. He said, get the one with the corn. Yeah, and he's, like, literally getting the corn. But he literally had, like, there's a close-up of Doyle's face when he has a toenail, like, in his mouth. Like, you see it on his tongue. Yeah, this is horrific. It is repulsive. It is, by golly, I think the worst thing I've seen on this podcast. And I've seen a lot of bad things on this podcast. I gagged. I, like, literally gagged. Me too! It was, it was, it was, yeah, no, it's no good. I'm not big on grass out, well, I don't know, I might be a liar if I say that. I was gonna say I'm not big on grass out humor, but, like, I can appreciate when it's done well. I'm more of, like, a slime and goop kind of grass out humor guy than I am a toenails and, and, you know, bodily fluid type of grass out humor fan. And this was awful. Yeah. Yeah, listeners of this podcast, if you're still with us at this point, will know that I, like, lost my shit. At Ernest in the Army, where his lips came off. Oh yeah, this is worse. This is a thousand times worse. <laughs> like I'd rather like sit through a marathon of like a TikTok of Ernest peeling off his lip than rewatch this shit. <laughs> Just like set to some like hip hop song. <laughs> Just and like they're adding like the sparkles, like a fan cam of Ernest pulling the skin off of his lips. Yeah, no, I'd rather watch that. I'd rather be tortured by that than have to watch this specific scene of Biodome ever again. My god. Yeah, I already sort of said, like, I I think maybe the worst part of the movie is just how bad Stephen Baldwin is in general. And I don't really have, like, a specific example of him, like, being bad. It's just kind of like all his line deliveries are sort of subpar. I do have a particular moment that's just bad in the movie, which is happens very early on into them being in the biodome, where they just climb into bed oh. with the oh, two yep. women. Yep, 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 yep. Not cool, not funny, <laughs> very bad. There's more to it. <laughs> but it's indicative of so much that's bad in this movie, which is they are mega creeps to these ladies, but then also we're supposed to feel bad for them when they, th- I think we're supposed to feel bad for them, when they think their girlfriends are cheating on them. Mm-hmm. It's never resolved. Like, they don't ever have a conflict about this. There's one scene late in the movie where for 
no reason, completely inexplicably, those two women, the two scientists, uh, come on to them. And Bud rejects them, but Doyle doesn't. But Bud rejects them on Doyle's behalf. And I guess that's supposed to be like a moral victory. Yeah, just like all of that. And that was after they made out with them. Like they, like both of them were make they made out for a bit before yeah. he rejected. Yeah, and like Bud pulls the one off of Doyle, and Doyle's like making out with the air, and then he has such intense blue balls that he like with his pants on. To be fair, pounds his dick against a metal door over and over again. They both do. Yeah, yeah it's wild. I, I want to dig into those two things separately as low points. The first is that they sneak into a woman's bed while they're sleeping to spoon them and grope their chesticle area, which is, by itself, awful. Yeah, bad. Secondly, the idea, again, that for doing the bare minimum of effort, they win women as a prize is Mm -hmm. awful as an idea, fully. Not that they just Mm -hmm. get their girlfriends back, but they win two separate other women who are barely characters that are now just into them for some fucking reason. They're yeah, basically, and, they... and they're like, we've known you for a year, now we love you. Yeah. It's <laughs> it's so awful. Uh, and then thirdly, just in general, the idea of the movie trying to be like, oh, we're worried that the girls might go out and get seduced by kegs and hunky boys, but, you know, we're just going to creep around these women and do whatever the fuck we want. And it takes a hero's effort on our part to throw these harlots off of us so we can be faithful to our girls who are always faithful to us. And it's like, dear God, that is so backwards and awful and I hate it. Yeah, it sucks. Yeah. So yeah, those are huge low points. Tyler, give us some. Well, yeah, just that big skeevy moment is a, is a very big low point. Also... Interestingly enough, that scene of them crawling into these women's beds is highlighted in the trailer for this movie. Oh my god, why? That is in the trailer. It's like, what are these guys gonna do next? And then shows them creeping into sleeping women's beds, and then cuts to the women screaming and them getting thrown out the doors into the hallway. That's supposed to endear us into watching the fucking movie? Oh my god. Josh, what could they possibly have shown you in the trailer that would make you want to watch this movie? Them shaving a dog. Yeah, them shaving a dog. I'd be like, give me 12 tickets. Doing the safety (laughs) dance. I don't know, that that montage of them being weird assholes where they Tarzan through the trees. That's true. There's a lot of smoking in this movie. I don't know that's a low point. I don't want to be like a prude. But it's like, they just smoke a lot. I don't know. It's weird watching that now. Like, where it's, like, almost impossible to show somebody smoking in a movie now. It is weird when you see people light up a cigarette. Like, that's the first thing they do when they get in the biodome. Like, that's, I mean, that's kind of a funny joke. You get in, like, oh, it's uh, environmentally, and they're, like, immediately lighting up a cigarette. That's kind of funny. Yeah. Oh, I I got a low point. Uh, As alluded to in my synopsis, it's not a dome. Yeah, it's not a dome. It's just a fucking building. Did you? I didn't say this while we were watching it, because I wanted to ask you here on the air. Did you recognize the building that they used for the exterior of the biodome? No, I actually didn't. Is it like some kind of like botanical garden? It is the Donald C. Tillman Water Treatment Facility. But specifically, the reason I asked if you recognize it is because it's Starfleet Academy. Oh, shit. I did not. Yeah, it's the same same building they used for the exterior of Starfleet Academy in, in uh, Next Gen. 
That's wild. I knew it was it was recycled from something else, and I was gonna bring it up when we were watching, but I I, I was wrong because I was like, I was thinking about the place. There's that set they used in Bill and Ted when they go to the future. That's used in a bunch of stuff. I think it's also used in Back to the Future. Oh. Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay, yeah, I think that's a different place. Yeah, so like when I were watching the movie, I was like, "Oh, is this that?" I look, but I knew that there was like another movie that used that set or something that used that set. Mm. I can't believe I didn't even recognize the Starfleet Academy. I can't believe that you have to go to the biodome to learn how to be in Starfleet. Yeah, but it's not a dome. It's, it's not. It's, it's like a serious. There's like. I don't know. There's like rounded areas on it, but it's not a dome. Now, to be fair to this movie, there are kind of like two locations that sort of directly inspired this, I assume. One of them, the Montreal Biodome, is a dome. It's kind of shaped like a horseshoe crab. So it's not like a dome dome, but it's, it's, it is a dome. But the other, which is Biosphere 2, is not a sphere. So... Maybe that's what they're going for. But when I hear biodome, I get really amped to see a dome, you know? I want to see, like, a geodesic dome. Yeah. Or, or geodesic. You're thinking about, geodesic like, the nuts. dome from the Simpsons movie. Or, like, the dome from that wonderful TV show, The Dome, based on Stephen King's novel, The Dome. Under the dome. Nope. Speaking yeah. of domes, I'm looking at a picture of the Montreal biodome. It's called Under the Dome. It looks fucking sick. <laughs> Yeah, I hadn't really actually heard of it until I was looking stuff up because I was like, I need to have my facts straight for when I come at this for not being a dome. And yeah, it looks cool. It's got like a bunch of simulated environments that you can like walk through with like, you know, plants and animals from different areas. Yeah, it's really cool. In it. It, it seems neat. Let's go to Canada, y'all. Yeah, I would be down for that. Let's visit all the famous domes in Canada. Yeah, no, this movie just isn't, there's no no dome in this movie. It's not a dome. And they, the a tagline for this movie is that they're causing trouble in that bubble, but it's not a bubble either. Well, I guess like in a vague sense, it's a bubble, not not a literal bubble. But if you like in the same way they use they've used bubble recently in the pandemic to describe like a enclosed system, then you could call it a bubble. I guess, but no, but that's another thing. Like you see that tagline, you see that title, you're expecting like a full on dome. Yeah, it's like it goes in line with the whole spherical like idea, and it just doesn't happen. That's wild. And if you really think about it, it like because it's not a full on actual dome, it's easily to mistake that as a mall, a place that would have a bathroom that you could pee in when you're driving. Yeah, down the yeah, that's what sets up when, this movie. If you can't cork it, you know you got to go to the you got to go to the the biodome. I want to. That's this is not a low point, but I do want to talk about this. They they go into the biodome because they have to pee. They first they're going to pee outside of it, and then Doyle's like, "I can't go outside." So they go inside, and then he starts peeing in like one of the fake environments, like a you know with like a river or something. Yeah. But like, is there not a bathroom in the biodome? Also, like, if he can't go outside, why is he going in a simulated outside? That's true. Exactly. But you know, there maybe that's a common running water. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I got one. I got two more low points. And they're kind of related to each other, so I'll probably just go into both of them. But do you guys have any other ones before I do that? There's a so I was like, oh, there's these two women, these two scientists that they are creeps to, who then come on to them. But there's a third woman in the biodome, and she's like not a character. Every she gets other character, no screen time. Yeah, every other person in the biodome like gets lines and has like scenes with Doyle. 
and Bud. I mean, none of them are great, but, like, there's this whole other person who, this this woman who just doesn't get to do anything in the movie, except for at one point, she's, like, the person who chases Faulkner at the end, but then he's still, like, defeated by Bud and Doyle. And she's also, like, the only non-white person in the movie. Yeah. Except for Phil Lamar, who briefly shows up to say, like, oh, yeah. one line. Surprise cameo by Phil Lamar. Uh, yeah, I would I would have wanted Phil Lamar. Yeah. Of Phil Lamar. But that also bothered me with, with that her not be not being in the movie like at all. I think her own like her biggest scene in the movie is like as soon as they get to the biodome and, and, and those idiots are figuring out they're gonna be stuck there for a year and they're like one year and she's like, Yeah you know, and then fifty two weeks. Yeah. Three hundred eighty five days Ah That's her like big scene in that movie. Part of me wonders if if there was more of her in the script that was cut out because, there, I mean, obviously something was cut out with that Rose McGowan thing, which I haven't brought up yet, but I talked to oh, you guys yeah. about when we watched. But at the end of the movie, there is a, a brief shot where you see Rose McGowan's character is pregnant, and you only see it for a, a second. So that makes me think that there's there was some, some stuff cut from the script or cut yeah, cut down for time. Yeah, give us the director's cut Bloom edition. We, we're it's all that dying hour for movie it. Release the bloom cut. This movie's already though, like pretty long for this kind of thing, like for a dumb comedy, because it's like an hour and forty some minutes. But yeah, I, there's definitely because Rose McGowan is like they introduce her. She's like the friend to the girlfriend. She has like a very specific costuming choice where she's wearing like gloves, like she's yes. a cartoon character. Um, <laughs> And then she just, like, isn't really at all in the movie until she's just in the crowd in the last scene and is inexplicably pregnant. Yes. So, yeah. They must with have cut a bunch. She's standing with the another character who was introduced. Like, he has his arm around her, kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, so, that makes me think that there was something going on there, but who knows. I mean, to uh, just, you know, give the argument against that as just a whole, is that, like, it's just me- maybe it's just meant to show the passage of time because it's been a year, but... I mean, it is an odd choice, so who's to say? Okay, I want to get into my uh, just combined last two low points that really stand out for me in this movie. And it's something I already mentioned. It is the constant destruction of animals. Mm-hmm. First and foremost, there's a specific scene where uh, they have this one guy who's on the Biodome 5. His name is Ramos? Romulus. Right? Romulus. Romulus. Is that another Star Trek route? Is that is that a nod to the fact that this is Star Trek Starfield Lead Academy? I don't know. No, but it's not. It's definitely not. <laughs> you had me convinced for a second. He's a lepidopterist. A lepidopterist is someone who studies butterflies. He's invested in these two butterflies that he has specifically because they're like the last two of a certain species. In this movie universe, anyway. In real life, they're just tiger swallowtails, which are extremely common butterfly species. Anyway, he's really invested in that. He's telling Doyle about it. And then Bud and Doyle just, like, they're playing hide-and-seek, and Doyle and Bud are just, like, running around the lab, just, just, like, destroying everything for no reason. Like, intentionally throwing all the butterfly aquariums onto the floor and smashing everything when they're just playing hide-and-seek. And then later, they feel bad about it. So they're like, we'll help you get it back by putting up a giant piece of flypaper to collect butterflies... And they collect, like, hundreds of butterflies and, like, also a bird yeah. that are just dead. 
and Romulus rightfully screams bloody murder, and then the movie just moves on. Yeah, also, or when they're introduced, like, very early on, and they're, like, driving to the Biodome, or they're driving to where they think they're supposed to go, and then they end up going to the Biodome, Bud just lights a firecracker and throws it out the window, and it explodes a jackrabbit. Yes. For no reason. That just happens. It's a very fake-looking jackrabbit, but it does happen. But there's also just so much implied animal death, including a story of from their childhood where Doyle lied about Bud's cat eating Doyle's pet turtle. So the cat got put down for that. But what actually happened is Doyle stepped on the turtle and crushed it. So that's two more uh, implied animal deaths. In addition to a local legend story of Bud accidentally using a chipmunk to light a house on fire? I'm not sure exactly what the details of that were, because I kind of, at that point, went insane. But there was specifically a chipmunk death that resulted in, like, houses being set on fire. Yeah. And then also... uh, Wait, wait, hold on. I want to talk about the chipmunk thing. Because I want people to understand that that's the same scene as the goldfish thing. They're having this... They've been exiled to the desert section of the biodome and are dying of dehydration or something. And they're going back and forth and being like, you're, they're confessing their sins. He's like, do you remember this thing? Do you remember your, your turtle? I killed your turtle. And that's his confession. And then the very next thing that happens is he says, do you remember when this chipmunk got inside of this garage and ate a bunch of gasoline and exploded and died? That's like immediately following the story about the dead turtle of the dead cat. And then the joke is that he didn't have anything to do with it. He was just asking him if he remembered it because he thought it was cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's also referenced later in the movie where they're like, this biodome is just like the chipmunk fire of 1985. And then later on in the movie, to establish that the guys at the other Save the Rainforest party were not really interested in Save the Rainforest, says that they're going to strangle a dolphin to be able to get into some girl's pants. And then also, uh, while Dr. Faulkner goes insane, he's palling around with a blue and gold macaw for a while. And then they cut back to him later, and he's clearly destroyed the macaw by uh, covering his face with his feathers and eating a chicken wing, which implies that he also ate the macaw. Yeah, he makes like a, a parrot head hat. Now, to be clear, the blue and gold macaw is an endangered species of the Amazon. So that makes it worse. And in general, just there's a movie that's trying to say, hey, maybe environmental awareness is kind of good, actually. Also, specifically goes out of its way to imply the torture and death of so many animals throughout its runtime is literally insane to me, and it really did break my brain. I do want to say, though, in not in defense of any of this, because it is wild that, the, yes, like you say, the movie is like, save the environment, but also it's very funny when an animal dies. I, it's, it's, it's incoherent. I do kind of like, though, the thing with Falker and the parrot. Because the reason he gets mad at the parrot is because he keeps saying, I'm God. And then the parrot is repeating him and saying, I'm God. <laughs> and he it makes him furious and he kills the parrot. Which is funny. I think that's funny. It's it's fucked up, but it's funny. Okay. Uh, that's the extent of my low points that I can really point out. Does anyone have any more before we decide on what the low point of this movie was? I don't know if I have any more specific ones. Tyler? No, I think, I think we covered it. Okay. My vote for the low point of this movie, I I really hate the idea of animals being hurt and injured, but I think what really destroyed me the most was the Doyle eating Bud's toenails scene. 
<laughs> so I'm going to have to vote for that. I, I think other stuff is more like morally reprehensible or indicative of the movie's incoherence, but nothing is as vis- as like viscerally off-putting as the toenail thing. Yeah, it's it's bad. Yeah. So do you do we are we in agreement that that's the worst thing? Yes, I think so. Okay. So our previous season low points, uh, Weasel related, was the plot relevant drugging, slut shaming, and gaslighting in Son in Law by older men. Real bad. And then our grungy asshole one is the transphobic conjugal visit scene from jury duty and nate uh since this is your favorite i want you to describe it to tyler so he's in the know what is oh it's not my favorite i think it's very bad uh it's just that there's a criminal in the movie that who is the he's he's, the plot of the movie he's he's trying to extend his stay on jury duty so at one point he goes to visit the guy who's on trial to be like hey i'm gonna help you keep your trial going so you don't get sentenced to death but he does it by dressing up as a woman to go have a conjugal visit with him and you know they get a lot of jokes jokes out of that. And also, there, it's like... Yeah, it's just bad. It's a, it's a very bad scene where yeah. Pauly Shore dresses up as a woman. Yeah, that's all you had to say. Sounds terrible. <laughs> I think that's worse. Is that worse than Bud eating Doyle's toenails? Here's the thing. Very selfishly, I want to say that this is worse just so we don't ever have to talk about that other scene again. I mean, we had this sort of conversation with Ernest, too, where there was, like, a gross thing that was, like, the worst, and eventually we were like, well, let's just make sure we don't have that in the movie, in our movie, but then we moved on to having the racist part be the worst part, so it just ended up sort of evening out. So part of me wants to say, like, this is worse, but it's, like, it's not worse, I guess. It's not. I don't think we could justify anything about this being worse than Pauly Shore giving us a bunch of transphobia. So... I think we got to move on, unless Tyler, you have anything to add to that? No, I think uh, I'm I'm with you guys on this one. We have to get we have to we have to at some point we need to finish this Pauly Shore season, and we need to move into some other season that's not like bad comedies from the '90s, so we could stop having these awful <laughs> conversations about the terrible things we used to think were funny as a culture. Oh yeah. Oh, for sure. We'll do that eventually when you stop cursing us with these ideas. Nate. But for now, I think it's time for us to get inside the Baffle Dome and fight to the death over the things that baffled us in this movie. I don't know how much there is. Like, this movie, Lots of this movie is very baffling. I don't know how much there is that we haven't already covered. Alright, so let's get into the Baffle Dome. Who's got a thing that's baffled us in this movie? I, I'd like to start. Fight! Because this part has baffled me for so long that I've, in the past, have even asked, had conversations with you guys specifically about this baffling moment. That's how much it's baffled me. Because <laughs> as a child watching this movie, the first scene where Bud and Doyle meet the female scientists, the two female scientists, and they're running through their best pickup lines. And Doyle says... If you were a yogurt, would you be fruit at the bottom or stirred? To which I don't think she answers. I don't. She, she doesn't answer like any of these. No, she does answer that one like later. 
Well, yeah, that, yeah, that's the point I was going to get. Bizarrely to. enough, this part is called back to. It's one of the only things in the movie, yeah. besides the chipmunk thing, that's like set up and called back to. So a year later, she finally has the answer to the yogurt question we've all been dying to know. <laughs> yeah, we, all of us, we, we, and then and she says, "I'm I I thought about your question. I'd be fruit at the bottom, waiting to be stirred." Right before she starts making out with him. And yeah. my question has always been, one, what the fuck does that even mean? <laughs> like, and then her answer, fruit at the bottom waiting to be stirred. The only thing I could ever, like, thing I could wrap my head around would be that, is that question like, are fruit at the bottom waiting to be stirred? Is that a question, are, are you a virgin or not? Okay. Here's my idea. I don't know what it, what this means. I couldn't give you an answer. I can't be like, ah, obviously it's this. One of my theories on what why this is said in the movie is that maybe it's supposed to be like a joke about like Harry Carey, like the fewer hot dog would you eat yourself, <laughs> like that type of like weird question. I don't know what it it could be that what you're suggesting. I thought that her answer was that she was like trying to say that. He could he could put it in the back, in the bottom, stir up the bottom. <laughs> here's here's my dumb idea for how this question works. Okay, I think being stirred. Okay, go on. <laughs> yes, out. tell us why, Sage. Being stirred means that you're like already like set up and ready to be eaten and that means that mm. you're taken and but if you're fruit at the bottom you're like unopened you're ready for someone to get in there and stir you up so you're ready for action and that coincides with her answer fruit at the bottom waiting to be stirred meaning that she's now ready for action from the doylester and okay. he's gonna stir her is that does that help no or is that just me having a broken brain again I thought you were going a different way with this. That it wasn't about like whether or not you're taken. Because I don't think they care about that. They definitely do not. Obviously, they don't care about that. <laughs> I thought maybe it's like, if you're fruit at the bottom, then that means like you need a little bit more... You need a little like romance, a little little foreplay to get things going. Whereas like, if you're, if you're stirred, then you're just, you just pop the top and you're ready to you're ready rock. Ready to go. Mm, th that makes sense. <laughs> I don't know. This is, or here's the thing it's just a stupid <laughs> yeah and but this is a perfect thing for the baffle dome because literally yes. has baffled me since childhood i remember seeing this movie yeah i think you've specifically asked yeah, us this yeah. question before i did I, I i definitely at some point over the years i i brought this question up because it's always always mm -hmm. eaten away at me like what the fuck is this question but for for real though to both of you i do have to ask are you fruit at the bottom or are you stirred? What kind of yogurt are you? I'm a gogurt. Yeah, I'm Jello. Uh, that's the best answer. I'm I'm a Danimal's drinkable yogurt. You would be a Danimal. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Yeah, you would but... be. You slut. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a Danimal waiting to be slammed. <laughs> Slam that Danimal. Slammed down big style. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have one. Uh, which puzzled me more than I think it puzzled either of you. 
But it didn't help break my brain. The whole free mahi mahi bit is confusing to me. I mean, I don't even know how. <laughs> I we... guess it's supposed to imply that these guys are idiots. But the way that they're establishing it is, first off, they do rock paper scissors to determine who is going to get hit in the head with a textbook to get out of doing environmental charity work with their girlfriends. It's settled on Doyle, the, our saint and savior, and we Doyle gets hit in the head, and their, their reasoning for why Doyle is injured and can't join them on their trip is that he went insane and thought the mahi-mahi that is not, is like clearly a plastic mahi-mahi on their wall, it was real, and he had to take it off and set it free. Free mahi-mahi, free mahi-mahi, and... He bumped his head, and that's why he's injured. Firstly, why is that a good excuse that your boyfriend is so dumb that he decided a plastic fish needed to be rescued off his own wall where he lives? Secondly, why wouldn't they just hit him over the head with a mahi-mahi if that was going to be their excuse? Why use a separate thing to hit him over the head with? Uh, I mean, the whole hitting each other over the head is totally unnecessary, because... He didn't need to. He could just act like he got hit on the head, or that he, you know, that he <laughs> yeah. he's faking it anyway. Yeah, no, it's. I wasn't like confused by it, but it is like weird long walk to get to the end result, and it requires Pauly Shore to do so much babbling in that scene to just like ramble out this inane story about the mahi mahi, and like I remember watching it and just being like. What's the joke? I think the joke yeah, is real. getting Pauly Shore to say mahi-mahi as much as humanly possible. Like, I think that's supposed to be funny. Yeah. Did you notice he corpsed a lot in this movie? He definitely corpsed, I noticed, when uh, he slapped him. Yeah. At the end of it, when he was trying to get him to stop making out with the girl, he slapped Doyle. And he's out of focus, but he corpsed so hard in that scene, I noticed that. There were a couple times where, and it was like, specifically at stuff that Stephen Baldwin was doing, and I was like, well, I'm glad you're enjoying his antics, Polly Shore. <laughs> Can we, um, just for the audience at home, and also for Josh, who's a little bit confused, what is corpsing? Uh, it's when you break in a scene, like when you smile or laugh in a scene. Yeah, you're, you're trying mm. hard to not break. Okay. Yeah, I just called that breaking. But yeah, totally. Uh, he does that a lot. So yeah, that's that's my entry to the Baffle Dome. Because it's just such a weird-ass walk. It doesn't make any sense. It's completely bonkers. And also, it's another one of those things that pays off at the end of the movie. Where they assume the position in the Dr. Faulkner. As like per assuming the position to be hit with a textbook. It's wild. Most of the stuff that baffled me has been covered. I do have one, which is the th they become celebrities. Yeah, that's that's so weird to me. I like. I'm not necessarily confused by the fact that they become celebrities. Like it's dumb, but it's a thing that would I understand happening in the movie. But yeah. it's weird that it happens. But also, it doesn't mean anything or add anything to the movie. It doesn't really lead to like a meaningful conflict. They don't really use their fame for much. I guess maybe we're supposed to believe that the reason all those people show up to the party is because they're famous, but it's just like a... They, they do put so much work into it for how little it actually matters in the movie. Like, there are t-shirts designed and shown on screen of them. 
like in like a character yeah, action figure. Yeah, there's a there's an action figure. Like there's so much like shoe leather is expended on establishing them as minor celebrities for it to ultimately mean basically nothing. I think the whole them being a celebrity is supposed to play into the idea of Faulkner going crazy. Oh, okay. Like, because he wants to be the big head uh, scientist guy that everyone looks up to, and then he's, up, he's like, upshone by these idiots who become celebrities yeah. just for being there. I can see that. I can see that. It's just, it's wild to me. Like, I get, like, for in, like, in character for them to be like, hey... Uh, you should make an action figure of us to the guy that owns the biodome and sell it and do all this other stuff. But it's wild to me that they follow through on that. And it's not wild that the characters suggest it because they're hapless idiots. But it's wild to me that they're like, yeah, that's a good idea. We should do that. It's the movie is very inconsistent on how much the like. I don't know what the word is here, but there there is like a in comedy, right? You, there's like a um. A level of buy-in that everyone else has. And, like, generally, like, a movie is more absurd the more everyone buys into the weird character and accept him as being real. To reference Pee-wee's Big Adventure again, right? People are generally very accepting of Pee-wee despite him being a super weird character. Yeah, versus, like, the Ernest movies where people are less accepting of Ernest because he's a weird character. Yeah, but this movie just constantly oscillates back and forth between people being 100% on board and loving Bud and Doyle. And people being exasperated and perplexed by them. And the fact that, like, the guy who owns the Biodome, like, every other scene, he feels completely differently about Bud and Toil. Yeah. Yeah, it's so weird. Tyler, do you got another one? I wouldn't say, like, baffling as much as just, like, why? Of... I mean, that is baffling. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> No. I'm not, like, baffled. I'm just, like, why? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. That guy, the rollerblading guy. Yeah, okay. That character. We have not. We didn't talk about him at all. At all. No. Can we? Can we talk about him a little bit later? Okay. I have you, a whole that's thing. Fine. You, you have a thing. Yeah. We'll get. We'll dig into it. I, I want to give him a shout out. You do okay. side character shout. I don't have any more baffling moments. Do you got one, Josh? Or, or I have a few. Okay. So I guess the first one I just want to start with is how they explain why Bud Macintosh Squirrel is so attractive. Because he's very good at fucking, because he's so flexible. He does yoga. <laughs> and this, like, the, the girlfriends are, like, chatting about that. And, like, they're like, oh, yeah, he does yoga. You're so lucky. And then, later scene in the movie, where he's trying to show off to the girl scientist, he's like, hey, I do yoga. And then he, like, puts his back on the ground and shoves his legs up in the air and shows her, like, his whole taint to flirt with her. That moment in and of itself is not bad for me because it's just like that's just the joke. It's just the joke is look at a guy's butthole, uh, and it's funny to say yoga. What's baffling about that to me is that she like smiles at him and like hints that it might be working. Sure. Yes. What's baffling to me though is it feels like it's supposed to like they do that. Like a bud's very flexible. Here's him doing yoga. Look at his butthole, and then <laughs> they fight a villain who is navigating through the biodome by sneaking around inside of crawl spaces and at no point do they use his flexibility to defeat the villain which is what i thought it was supposed to be like i thought it was like ah the final payoff will be that he'll bend himself into a pretzel and sneak through nope doesn't happen yeah that would make sense but they did not do that i have another one which is a weird inconsistent thing in the movie 
first off, we already mentioned the whole toe-sucking thing, which is awful. But when Bud and Doyle enter the Biodome, and the Biodome 5 see them, the first thing they do to upset everybody is Bud smacks a fly on Doyle, killing it. And then they both lick the dead fly off the hand of Bud and eat it. I've completely blocked this out of my memory. And then, later on in the movie, having already established that they're willing and able to eat a fly and toenails, they try to eat sustainable food for dinner with the rest of the crew, and they literally, like, can't. They, they like, immediately expel it out of their mouth, saying how gross it is. Yeah, that's indicative of a thing I talked about recently on another podcast I do. Plug that podcast. Yes, it's called Dried Up Brain. You can check it out. It's a, I mean, I don't know who the fuck is listening to this that hasn't listened to Dried Up Brain, but if you exist, you can check out my other podcast. It's about books and comics. We were talking recently on that, though, about how for a very long time, Americans did not know how to cook tofu. And yes. they just kind of heated it up and didn't <laughs> season it or anything. And so tofu got a, and like tofu and like soy in general got a really bad yeah. reputation for a long time. And this is indicative of that. Yeah, I think the meal is specifically, like, soy-based or whatever. But, like, you've eaten a fly, and you've eaten each other's toenails. It can't be that much worse. You don't know how tasty Bud's toenails are. Yeah, it did have the... It was the one with the corn. That yeah. was established. <laughs> okay. Tyler, do you have any more before I ramble on and finish my list? No, go on. I go think on. you should just take us to the end, my dude. Okay. I mean, the premise of this movie is that these two losers get stuck in the biodome and they're stuck there for a year, right? But there's also, like, literally no reason they can't just immediately, like, restart the clock and let them out and start the clock just 20 minutes later once these two goons are gone. Right? Yeah. It's wild that they're like, nope, we have to stay here for the movie plot. It's almost like this movie is um, sloppily written. Yeah. (laughs) Do you guys remember, or have you blacked this out, the whole sniper who killed the clown scene? Oh, yes. <laughs> Can we talk about that? There's a Pruder film reference. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes. So, at one point, uh, the character of Russell, who we'll talk about a little bit later, uh, is demanding that he be allowed to watch the news of a video of a sniper killing a clown at the mall. And that is literally the only context we get for the video that we now see. Of a party clown with balloons being shot by a sniper. Yeah, and they do the, they do this a pretty film thing. They say back into the left over and over again, and then we see a clown get shot. Uh, it, and that's it. Never reference. Doesn't mean anything. Doesn't pay off. This is another example of this movie making me appreciate bad movies more. <laughs> do you, I don't know you if you've seen it but josh and i watched this movie together called mixed nuts have you ever heard of this it's a it's a movie with steve martin it's a nora efron comedy it's like one of the first i've heard of it but i've never seen it adam sandler is also in it yeah it's one of the first like adam sandler like movies that he was in uh that movie's not particularly good but that has this thing where it's again like it's a wacky absurd farcical movie with like a bunch of characters and crazy hijinks happening that movie throughout references a serial killer and it just seems like a weird, dark detail. And then it pays off at the end, where one of the characters turns out to be the serial killer. And I was like, that's much better than this inexplicable <laughs> one-off reference to a clown getting murdered that takes up like two minutes of screen time. 
Yeah. It's just like never like referenced at all. It's just whatever. Just it's very like reminiscent of like the head getting blown up in jury duty. Yeah. <laughs> That's never referenced or heard from again, but it's like also why? And also this is less funny. It is less funny. I would say that the Dick Vitale's head exploding into confetti in jury duty is actually quite funny. Just it's totally inexplicable. Have you though been recently been seeing fucking like Geico commercials with Dick Vitale in them? No. I've seen that commercial. He's in a, like a it's like Geico or Progressive or something. I'm pretty sure it's like a car insurance commercial. I've seen it like eight times since we recorded the episode about jury duty, and every time I'm disappointed that his head doesn't explode in a confetti at the end of the commercial. <laughs> oh no. Uh, okay, I got uh, two real quick ones, and then we're done. And then we can move on to essentials. I want to talk about the long, like overly long scene where everybody's just tonguing the glass. Like that lasted like at least five minutes of them just literally putting their like tongue and lips on the glass between Bud and Doyle and their respective girlfriends. And it just, it lasted like to the point of like, can we just like move on and do something else now? The the joke has been done. Yeah, they they really thought that image was incredibly funny. It's not, it's not really. It's not, it's not really that funny. (laughs) No, it's not. Uh, and then finally, when Faulkner goes insane and becomes this, like, person of, uh, <laughs> spelling out in, like, blood and whatever, I am God, I still dream, I and all this other dream. stuff. I still, <laughs> that was good. That's a, like, okay, the, I still dream spelled in blood on the floor is such, like, a wild, unsettling, like, image. Like, yeah, was, it's like something yeah. you'd see in, like a, like, a horror space game, like Dead Space. Yeah, or, like, an episode of Hannibal. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's wild, and but I wanted to just say specifically, like part of his evolution to a villain is that he uses chemicals to create an egg that explodes, and then that's it. We eventually he just moves on to coconut bombs, but why an egg to start with? Why didn't he just start with a coconut? You're right. They do. They go out of their way really to to very much to show you this exploding egg. Yeah, and it doesn't matter ever. I totally forgot. Because it's not referencing it, I completely forgot about it once he's throwing coconut bombs around like he's on Gilligan's Island. Yeah, and like, I thought it like it was funnier to me that it was an egg, right? Because mm-hmm. like, it's such a like tiny little thing. And then it transfers to coconut bombs, which are just less funny. And I don't know. But it, it, the egg was a smaller explosion than a single mm-hmm. bomb. But he could have thrown like he... a carton of eggs. That would have been funny. Yeah, like, I mean, <laughs> like that a whole would be cartons hilarious. of eggs. And they're doing, like, the football thing at the end where they're trying to catch a carton of eggs? It would have been hilarious. Yeah. But, like, coconut thing makes me think about Donkey Kong, and that's always fun. Yeah, I guess. Uh, It also is very Green Goblin-esque. Okay. So we're done with that. Let's go into essentials. Yeah, wait. Before Uh, we do that, I just have something to say, which is that... Oh, okay. We really caused some trouble in that bubble bath. Woo! (laughs) Ba-da-ba-ba-da-ba. Doyle. Alright, you want to move on to Essentials? Okay. Let's move on to Essentials. I think we we'll only have to cover half of the Essentials list. We don't need to touch on the Weasel part. Right. So I want to talk about the Weasel part, just for a second. I think we have to, since the next two films in our list are mockumentaries, I think we have to establish that the Weasel's dead. There is no more Weasel. The Weasel was a thing for two movies, and that's it. It's gone. And as much as we loved that character of the Weasel... I don't think we'll ever come back to it unless we, like, you know, do it in our final pitch. But, like, for the rest of these movies, the weasel's dead, and it's very sad. That's the fine. weasel has been juiced. <laughs> <laughs> He's, the weasel has become Jeus. Jeus. The weaser has become the wheeze. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm fine with that. Like, that's fine. I understand that that era ended. I do think we should keep the list there. One, as a memorial, and two, in case we want to, which we probably will, incorporate the weasel into our final pitch. But yeah, that that era lasted two movies, and it ended, and I definitely thought it lasted way longer, which was the entire reason we did this season. But whatever. <laughs> So, do we want to list off the Weasel Essentials, or just move on to the Grungy Asshole Essentials that we came up with last episode? Let's just, let's just dive into the Grungy Asshole Essentials. We don't we don't need to, to talk about something that was irrelevant to this movie. Okay. The first Grungy Asshole Essential that we decided upon was the get-by-quick scheme, where Pauly Shore's character needs something to help him live his life with minimal effort. Does that happen in this movie? Uh, kind of, but not really. Not really. I mean, he's not trying hard. Yeah, and the whole reason they get in the biodome is by accident. This would make... this Okay, this definitely needs to stay on the essentials list, though, because if this was part of the movie, it would make it much better, I think. If the plot was that they were trying to get into and stay in the biodome because it was somewhere that they could live for free, yeah, they would have a motivation, and there would be stakes. And I think that would have improved the movie. Yes, I agree with that. Okay, the next essential is 90s Slacker, uh, which I think is covered by both Bud and Doyle in this movie. Yeah, absolutely. They're definitely that yes. slacker archetype, for sure. Okay, now we have little regard for authority, but also willing to work with authority. Yeah, this is like a weirdly consistent thing. This has been in all of these kinds of these movies. It ha- again happens here. They have little regard for authority, and then they team up with the other people in the Biodome to save the Biodome at the end. Like, it's the exact same arc as in the army now and jury duty. <laughs> yeah, it's wild that's so consistent, especially because, like, in the movie, they go out of their way. Because uh, when the, Bud and Doyle first arrive at the Biodome and sneak their way in through firecrackers, Doyle, specifically to a guard that won't let them in, does, like, a Hitler salute and, like, mocks him. It is exactly the same as in the army now when they make fun of the army guys at the mini golf course before eventually becoming army guys. They, this is the same thing, right? They mock the security guard of the biodome, and the climax of the movie is them ensuring the security of the biodome. <laughs> yeah. Wild. Okay. Grungy outfit. Covered. Uh, yeah. Paul Shore's outfit for this movie is he has a denim vest on, and the name tag for said denim vest just says meat. Yes. Also, we didn't talk about this, but there's a part where they just suddenly have, like, like uh, pearlescent jumpsuits. Yeah. Yeah, when did they get those? Were they, like, in the dome? Or were they, like, did they bring them? I think they they're that they first appear when they're doing the their little um, uh, presentation about Purple Sticky Punch. Mm-hmm. Otherwise known as hemp. Yes. Oh, we gotta talk about that. I, I, I feel like we're gonna sidetrack from Essentials, but this is the first movie in the Pauly Shore filmography that specifically references weed like just like directly like before it was like oh this guy's clearly smoking pot off in a corner when the movie's not filming him but no this one's like they're doing weed yeah they totally eliminated the need for our chunky bond rip hypothesis (laughs) chunky bond rip hypothesis (laughs) because it's just there it's just fact yeah there's no nugs there's no dancing around it this is like weed is shown on screen and the characters talk about it directly yeah Yep. Uh, which is weird that they danced around it so much in the earlier movies, though. Yeah, especially because, like, we're still in the 90s, right? Like, these movies yeah. have just been, like, every single year afterwards. So, like, I don't know, what's so different about 96? 
than 95. I don't know. Progression. When did Half-Baked come out? Does that... No, that's 1998. I feel like there's a sea change coming where, like, they're getting back to being more open about talking about weed in movies after... Like, the 70s, it was all over the place. Then the the 80s in general... I mean, this is not... This is a broader discussion to be had somewhere that's not this podcast. But the 80s was kind of a contracting and, like, almost puritanizing of a lot of American culture. And that's kind of just like a cycle. I kind of feel like we're in that cycle right now. We're in, we're in the, the contracting puritanization stage. Yeah, but we're not going to get yeah. into the political reasons of that on this dumb podcast. No, no, uh, no, no, no. We're going to move on. So the next essential is... <laughs> now, Tyler, bear with us, because when we say these essentials, it's going to sound like we hate this character. And if you no, think do. that, you're right. <laughs> The essentials list, uh, the next one is selfish, dumb, chaotic asshole who is a slave to his own whims. Yeah, absolutely, totally. For sure, yeah. in this movie. Okay, the next one is that he's unbelievably horny. Yep, for sure, definitely. Without a doubt. I can doubt, believe it. We've mentioned this in the previous episode, but Tyler, I think it's important that you need to know the specific reason why we included this from the Jury Duty movie, uh, where Polly Schwimmer gets a boner from looking at a freeze of a picture of Lady Justice outside of a courtroom. Yeah, it's a carving of the fucking, like, he, he gets so horny looking at that that he gets a, a visible on-screen boner. So you guys are saying that's never happened to you, or? No. No, I gotta at least see a sculpture. Yeah, no. We need, we need 3D, <laughs> is what we're saying. Uh, yeah, no, so unbelievably horny, check. Unself-aware, check. Yeah. Doesn't learn a lesson, but gets rewarded anyway. Ooh. 100% check. Uh, very whiny. 100% check. Yeah, less so than the last two movies, but he's still, still whiny in this. Okay, and that's really it. On the weasel essentials, there's low status that they kind of hit in this movie. But also, it doesn't matter that they're low status, so I don't know if that, you know, we care about that. But in general, is there anything else that we want to add to this list based off a of biodome? And Tyler, we welcome your opinion here. On anything you think might be essential to the character of Polly Shore from Biodome. I want to say, does he need a sidekick? He has a sidekick in this, and he has a sidekick in the army now. But he doesn't have one in Jury Duty. Okay, so I have ranked well, he has Jury dog. Duty as a better movie than this. So, I don't think so. Because in the two movies where he has a sidekick, in this movie with Doyle, and in, in the army now with Andy Dick... They're both worse than the movie where he doesn't have a sidekick and he's still this grungy asshole. Well, I want even more specifically, I think his sidekicks in both movies suck. Yeah. So what are you saying that he needs a sidekick that sucks? Or are you saying that he needs a sidekick in general and maybe it just needs to be a better sidekick? I'm not saying anything. I was just asking because it is a thing that's been in two of these movies. I was just prompting the discussion about it. My take is, no, he doesn't need a sidekick. I agree. I got nothing really to add to this one. I feel like we really nailed down. Uh, do we think that he needs a, to have a dog? <laughs> no, hear me out. We do like the one where he has the dog the best. <laughs> yes, exactly. And we did like the dog part of this movie, as brief as it was. Exactly. Do we think hmm. that maybe he needs a sidekick, but that sidekick is a dog? I don't think it's a thing we need to put on the essentials list, but I feel like when we're doing our final pitch... We should ask ourselves, would this be better with a dog? And if the answer is yes, we should put a dog into our pitch. Okay. Like an, an inexplicable dog scene, at yeah. the very least. Yes, at least that. So, should I write down an inexplicable dog scene? No. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> just, 
Put put it in the back of your memory. Put it in your back pocket. Yeah. Don't write it down, but put it in your back pocket. If we don't remember it, it's not going to be essential. But we'll remember it. I'll remember Someone it. Someone will remember it. Okay. So that's it for the essentials. Tyler, it sounds like you don't have anything else to add. No. Nate, you got anything else? No. I just, I just look at this and I'm like, I think about, I look up at our essentials for the weasel and I look down at this and I'm like, oh boy. It's just like <laughs> my heart drops. <laughs> it's like, it's so bad. Yeah. We're going to have shit to work with when we do our final pitch, but we'll see how that goes. I, you know what? The... No. No. That's stinking thinking. I'm excited because this is a challenge. We're going to take this list of traits of a character that sounds fucking awful and we're going to make a good story for it. Okay. Here's the problem with this. The problem with this is there's one element of this essentials list that I feel like we're really going to have to discuss the conflict between essential and good story because doesn't learn a lesson but gets rewarded anyway is scary to me as a person who has rambled endlessly about story structure and character arcs on this podcast that is poison and we're gonna have to talk about whether or not we need to take that poison okay well that is a conversation that we will dread for another day for right now now that we have finished essentials we would move on to nug watch uh where we watch for instances of nug and try to figure out what nug means but since the weasel's dead i think we also have to declare nug watch dead the Nugwatch has ended. Long live the Nugwatch. <laughs> we have to go beyond the wall. <laughs> okay. Uh, that means it's time to move on to Quote Corner. Right around the corner. And as, as per usual, I did not write anything down. I want to tell you all that my notes for this... Here's what my notes are. It's three... It's what It says dog shaving. Uh, and it says Dr. Faulkner, villain turn. And then an enormous drawing of <laughs> a beaver with like a sad man face. <laughs> <laughs> good, good, good notes. That's all my notes. <laughs> okay, so yeah, uh, let's go to quote corner. Uh, Tyler, you kind of stole the best quote of this movie earlier with the whole "if you were yogurt," uh, which will forever baffle me. Uh, so maybe it does belong in the baffle dome. I, I think I, I earned that. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Saying I stole. I mean, it you, little... you carried that with you. Yeah, for years. So, if anything, I was going to steal it from you, and you just smacked it out of my hands. So, yeah, good on you. I would have, I would have fought you. For I that. have a few couple ones, and then we'll just move through this quick. But Tyler, I want to offer it to you again. Do you have any uh, other quotes from this movie that stuck with you? Uh, I do have one, and I feel like it's probably on your list. That's cool. Let's do it. Um, well, I guess two. Involving the same character. Okay, uh, why don't you give one of them, I'll give one of mine, and then we'll go back to you. Okay. So, the Bud's girlfriend's mom's boyfriend character? Yeah. Who, I don't think you ever see the mom on screen, but this guy's in the movie a lot. (laughs) Yeah, he's got like three distinct parts in the movie. Says that he can't go to the bathroom because he hurt his bladder... In a rollerblading accident. Yep. I don't have the quote written down. Do you have it written down? That's just the gist of what he says. Uh, like, he... The girlfriend of Bud character... What's her name? I feel like she should have a name, but I don't know it. We can just call her Joey Lauren Adams, because that's the actress's name. I don't remember her character's name. Oh, her name's Monique in the movie. Yeah. Uh, so, Monique... Walks in the room, and she's like, I, I want to watch TV. Why don't you go to the bathroom or something? And he's like, 
you know I can't go to the bathroom after that rollerblading accident. <laughs> that character is so weird. I mean, I assume we're going to do side character shout out and we'll talk well, we're about, t- we'll talk how about how it. weird that fucking character is. But that character is bizarre. Yeah, for sure. Uh, that is a good quote, Tyler. My next one is Biodome. Does that mean it goes both ways? I don't know, oh, yeah. but we do. I will say that I, this is not an official thing that we keep track of on this podcast in writing, but I keep track of it in my mind. Uh, and they have not uh, unseated Professor Mellon as the bisexual icon of this podcast. No, but it was clearly a reference to them being bisexual, which is... It reminds me of this thing. This is a, during, you know, at some point during the Attitude Era... In you know, in WWF, there was mm-hmm. a point where like DX Triple H was sitting in on commentary with Jerry the King Lawler and uh, fucking oh god, my brain is shutting down. He thing asks right. him if he's bilingual. Yes, he says I'm bi a lot of things, but lingual isn't one of them. <laughs> and then he's like, "There's like an awkward pause," and then he says, "Did I just say that?" <laughs> That's yeah. a good bit. But also, this movie goes out of its way to establish the characters are bisexual, and then never does anything with it. No. I mean, I think that's just them making fun of the idea of... I don't think that that's representation, Josh. I think that's them making fun of the idea of someone being bisexual. Yeah, no, I'm not saying it's representation. What I'm saying is it's fucking weird. And it's just a weird quote that stood out to me. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Tyler, what's your next one? Oh, wait, I have one. Actually, I realize now. Yeah, skip to Nate. Detail to us the sad beaver, please. It's when they're, um, when they're, yeah, the sad beaver has informed me that I remembered a quote, uh, which I have looked up, so I have the exact wording. When they're talking about, uh, they're scared that their girlfriends are going to hook up with swimmers, the way that they talk about the swimmers is, Bud says, shaved down pool Nazis oiling up our women and swimming with them in an Olympic-sized toilet. Man, he really hates pools. Yeah. <laughs> Or does he just use pools as a thing to pee in? <laughs> well, it's probably... Look, I mean, under, knowing these characters, it's probably the latter. For sure. Good quote. <laughs> uh, Tyler? Uh, same characters before. Okay, so Russell again. Where he points out that Bud and Doyle are on TV and, and revealing to Monique that they are now famous and are with these beautiful scientist women. And he advises his, I guess, his girlfriend's daughter that she needs to go out and hump. hump. Wait, let me try that again. Hump. There you go. He gets a good pop. Good pop. Hump. 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 <laughs> there we go. That was a good one. I do want to note, this probably should have been the baffle dome, but I want to note that one of the, because we keep talking about these uh, scientist ladies that aren't characters. Uh, but one of them is played by Kylie Minogue. I would, you, Fucking yeah! I was literally gonna say that you bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Scoopcha. We like danced around that the whole time. Like we didn't even talk about it when we watched the movie. Yeah. And I was like, do these, do these guys know that it's Kylie Minogue? I was kind of thinking about it. I was gonna bring it up. At some she point. barely has what? any lines. She makes out with Stephen Baldwin for like two full minutes, and she—that's it. Like that's the entirety of her presence in this movie. For Kylie Minogue, the Australian. Si- Singer, songwriter, and actress who's very widely well known. Yeah, why was she in she, this movie? She's like for real famous. She was trying to act for a bit. She was also in Street, the Street Fighter movie. 
She um, was in the street. That's fine, but like, there's no acting in this movie for her. There's no lines. There's nothing. She she does seductively eat a carrot. That was. I'm not gonna lie. It was pretty. That hot. was the other one. Oh, I'm pretty sure that was no. Her. That that's Kylie Minogue. Okay. You're 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 confusing. This movie's broken my brain. The other girl with come. Yeah, I was like, wow, her, her eyesight's gonna be so good. <laughs> yeah. That's hot. That's what's so hot. Glasses are ugly. All right, I'm gonna just finish my <laughs> couple quotes real quick, and so we can move on because I think we're already going pretty long on this podcast for this awful movie. Let's talk about uh, the squirrel and the stud. Yeah, two nicknames that they have that are basically only ever referenced once and don't mean anything. Yeah, they just they just use it as a way to pick up chicks somehow, and I don't know if it's ever worked, but it's very weird. Comes out of nowhere. There's a quote earlier on where I think Romulus gets disturbed by Doyle or something, and he's like, oh, God, where'd you come from? And Doyle's like, my mom and the authorities are still trying to figure that out. What does that mean? I don't know. He's some kind of foundling. A foundling? Yeah. Like, they just, like, found him. <laughs> like, and they don't know where he came from. He's, he's like Joe Dirt. Wild. Uh, and then finally, uh, when they go up to Romulus, they're like, hey, you got to go check something out. And Romulus is like, hey, if it's about Faulkner's third nipple, don't worry, I already know about it. Yeah, we don't see the third nipple. There's no payoff to the third nipple setup. No, it's just a random thing that he says, and it's never paid off. Faulkner has great hair in this, also, and that's another detail we haven't touched on. He has an amazing mane of hair. Yes, even when he goes insane, it's pretty good. So that's the entirety of my quotes. Uh, It sounds like neither of you guys have any more, so we'll just move on. You're lucky you got one out of me. I know, right? (laughs) <laughs> and then you fucking scooped me afterwards with Kylie Minogue, you bastard. Okay, so do you guys want to do a quick side character shout-out? Sure. I got one. I got a big one. The biggest side character shout-out we've ever had. We've been dancing around this. I'm going to get us started with a side character shout-out. We got to talk about Russell, the uh, huh. amazing character in this movie, played by Taylor Negron, known famously from his movies as that one guy such as the Flintstones and Beaver Rock of Vegas again. And what? <laughs> I forgot that Baldwin was awesome. What, that, what a strange synchronicity. Fast Times at Ridgemont High and yeah. other movies. And, oh, Stuart Little. Also Stuart Little. Yeah. We got to talk about Russell, this one side character who is apparently the boyfriend of Monique's mom and <laughs> can't go to the bathroom anymore, so he can't pee her shit. After that one rollerblading accident, <laughs> he has to get a job because, in his own words, fucking Bill Clinton, mm-hmm. and encourages his stepdaughter to hump, and then calls himself a champion of saving the planet as he runs out of the biodome after the party so he doesn't get stuck in it. Yeah, he's inexplicable. He's in a weirdly a lot of the movie. He has more relevance to the plot than, like, the girlfriend characters, kinda. A very strange character. Also, when he says fucking Bill Clinton, like, either Bud or Doyle is like, you fucked Bill Clinton? Yeah, there's some joke there. I, I can't remember what exactly what it was, but I remember I, I chuckled. I was like, oh, that's funny. He fucked Bill Clinton. That's, that's hilarious. Also, like, what is the what does that mean? That Bill Clinton made him get a job as a pizza delivery guy? I don't understand. Oh, taxes or something. I, I know we're in the middle of this shout-out to Russell. But we're talking about fucking Bill Clinton, so I gotta segue into another character okay. shout out. 
cameo by Bill Clinton's younger brother, Roger Clinton, who says he's going to write a song about Bud and Doyle. I totally forgot about that. Oh, yeah, that does happen. Wild. I saw, I remember, I had to look it up after we watched. I'm like, who is that guy that said he's going to write the song? And I'm like, oh, that's fucking Bill Clinton's younger brother. Weird. That's so weird. That's one of my, like, I wish I could be a president's weird brother. That would be, <laughs> that'd be a great life to have. <laughs> so, you don't so want to, you, you want to be Black like... Sheep from the movie Black Sheep? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Most kids wish, like, you know, they had a brother. You know, when they're only mm-hmm. children. You wish you were the brother of the president. Yeah. If I had a brother, I'd want him to be the president. And I think that that's admirable of me. All Nate's wanted in life is to be his eponymous hero, Fred Claus, and be the brother of someone more famous than him. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Nate, why don't you give us that side character shout out yeah. that we all know that you have and want to talk about, because it happens. There's this incredible performance by a guy whose name i don't know who appears in multiple scenes on this movie always in the background and he never says anything <laughs> but he's in all of these scenes anytime that the owner of the biodome shows up there is a guy in the background who's this really big dude like this very tall and imposing man with a mullet and a big push broom mustache and huge glasses in a suit and he never says anything but he is always in frame whenever the like owner is also in frame and that's really all i have to say about him but he's a, a powerful imposing presence and i would re- very much like to have sort of like a uh, informant style like corporate intrigue movie about that guy but also he still doesn't say anything <laughs> so it'd be like a willie's wonderland yeah like a willie's wonderland cross with the informant <laughs> oh cool i'd love that uh okay tyler do you have any more shout outs because i have one more i also have one okay, more give us yours because i want to give a shout out just a quick shout out because something has to be said about it. Shout out to big character in this movie, Joey Lauren Adams Nichols. <laughs> they were just out there. Yeah. She Oh my much god. Much like the the large silent man following the owner of the biodome, whenever she, she's on screen, so are her nipples. Yeah. Yeah. Uh she specifically was also in another movie around this time, uh Mallrats. I think Mallrats came out around like the same year or so, right? Uh, yeah, around that, like ninety six so. or set ninety seven. She was I think. in Mallrats as another like sexy off the side character that's just having a lot of sex, and we see her whole boobs at one point because she's in a changing room that uh, Kevin Smith keeps accidentally getting thrown into. Her whole boobs, indeed. Yeah, so good on her for being pigeonholed into a thing where she shows. No, I feel bad now. Okay, moving on. <laughs> if if this podcast has taught anyone anything, it's that movies used to suck. <laughs> and still I, I feel bad for that actress and hope that she's doing okay and wasn't constantly abused for her sex appeal. Anyway. Well, if it makes you feel any better, she did date Kevin Smith for a while. That does that makes me feel worse, actually. Yeah, it's terrible. Poor her. Okay. I'm surprised that neither of you guys gave this side character a shout out. Because we have the first cinematic appearance of this side character, Tenacious D. Oh, yeah. There is a very brief early Tenacious D appearance where they are playing a song about saving the environment at the, like, Save the Environment rally that is then interrupted by the 
revelation that there is a party happening at the Biodome. I thought you were going to shout out Phil Lamar. I mean, we can shout out Phil Lamar. I don't, I don't have much to say about it besides he's just he's in there. the movie for a second. <laughs> yeah, but he's he's very much in that category that is also occupied by B.D. Wong, uh, where I f- am compelled to clap whenever I see him on screen. Or character actor Mark Boone Jr. Yeah, Mark Boone Jr., Phil Lamar, B.D. Wong. They're the holy trinity, the three most important <laughs> actors in the world. <laughs> Oh, and you love Jesse Plemons, too. Yeah, Let's well, I'm a real Plemhead. Plemonhead. Plemonhead. That's good. Okay, that is all I got. I think we're pretty much done here. Do you guys have anything else you want to talk about with regards to Biodome? Oh, I do actually have a thing. Oh, please. I do it for, like, every movie I watch. I always end up on the IMDb page after I watch the movie and go to the trivia section because I'm a f- colossal dork. Not like us, cool guys. Yeah. No, Nate and I are real tiny dorks. And we're like so small you can't even see us. Yeah, we're micro dorks. <laughs> micro dorks. <laughs> Apparently, the main characters of the film were initially pitched to be Dana Gould and Harland Williams. Weird. And what? they were given scripts... And this is when they were, like, early about to break out in their career. They were just doing... Both of them just doing stand-up at this point. Not really doing anything else. And apparently they were given scripts. And they had, like, hung out and were, like, running lines with each other for, like, a month or two. And then, like, a different director came in. And they're like, now we're going with these guys. I do have to correct you. Um, They... At least one of them was doing something more than stand-up. Because... A year prior to this movie, Dan Gould was Gex. He is Gex. I, I'm not going to argue that, but but he's just doing his stand up routine as Gex. I mean, well, that's true. Real. That's right. I guess. I guess. <laughs> yeah. I, there really isn't much distinction between being Gex and doing stand up. You're right. I, I do have to <laughs> give you that. <laughs> well, that is that is an interesting bit of trivia. I I don't know if this movie would have been better with those two characters than what we got, but it is it is interesting to think about. Yeah, that would have been weird. I don't know. I don't know if it would have been weird, because this movie itself is weird, so who knows? Both of them are better actors than Stephen Baldwin, so I think the yeah. movie would have been better <laughs> at least a little bit. <laughs> Alright, uh, do you have any other interesting trivia, Tyler? Uh, I think that's all I got. I mean, I read all this trivia on here. Other than Kylie Minogue calling this film her worst career move. Really? Yes. Oh, good. Said it's the only thing she has done in her professional life that her father ridicules her for. <laughs> oh my Look, god! I, I'll be real with you. I mean, she did make out with Stephen Baldwin. If either of you were in Biodome, I would not let it go. <laughs> uh, Nate, I'm going to be real with you. If I was in Biodome, I would not let it go. But I'm just saying, if I knew somebody was personally in Biodome, like anytime they were like, "Oh yeah, I just got a pizza," I'd be like, "Did you pay for it with money from being in Biodome?" <laughs> <laughs> Oh wow! Okay. <laughs> now you'll you'll never see Kylie Minogue with the same like respect that you saw her with before. She's she'll always have that biodome stank on her. Oh no! <laughs> well, I think we got that about covers it. So we have been through a terrible torment of this movie, uh, and for will forever, <laughs> will forever be scarred. What's what is next, Nate? Polly Shore is dead. Yeah, Polly Shore, after Biodome, rightfully dies. That's harsh. Uh, and we'll watch that. So that should be fun. 
Tyler, it was wonderful to have you join us. And if you're interested in joining us for that, you are more than welcome. Uh, but if this has been more than enough for you, we understand. I mean, I got to say, thanks for having me back. Always fun to be on the show. Love watching movies and talking movies with you guys. And I'm always here. If you want to invite me to any of them, I'm always down. Polish Shore is dead. A movie that will probably not blow us away, but might. Who knows? Nate? Oh, wait. I, I want to say one last thing, which is I have just noticed now, being on the IMDb page for Biodome, do you want to guess its meta score on Metacritic? <laughs> Zero? Close. Two? Sixteen. One. <laughs> one? <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard of another movie that's had a one score before. I didn't think that was statistically possible. <laughs> how does that even happen i don't even know all right well on that note nothing beside remains round the decay of that colossal wreck boundless and bare alone and level sands stretch far away buddy bottom line is man just love one another peace and stuff all right word to the wind ace oh i'm out of here